want to start today by telling you guys about Strava Craft Coffee, the CBD infused coffee that is made right here in Colorado. You can get 25% off your first purchase when you use promo code DMDR20 at checkout. That's right, 25% off, quarter off of your purchase when you use promo code DMDR20. CBD has been known to, to aid in recovery from headaches, backaches, chronic joint pains, IBS, and so much more. It also doesn't give you those coffee jitters if you have three or four cups. You're not going to be sitting there shaking like a crazy person. Uh, it's great tasting, and like I said, it's made locally right here in Colorado. So check them out, Strava Craft Coffee. And don't forget that promo code 25 from DNVR25 to get 25% off. Or you can save 20% off on your order when you sign up for the subscription and have it delivered straight to your door every two weeks, every four weeks, six weeks, or eight weeks, whatever you prefer. 20% off when you use the uh, subscription service. ducking under there kale some reason, i don't know if it's like every time there's a noise inside the bar it ducks but whatever what is up everybody welcome in to the dnvr nuggets podcast presented by DraftKings sportsbook america's top rated sportsbook app use promo code dnvr when you sign up and bet on the bucks don't listen to me bet on the bucks they're on the comeback trail they look fantastic and they've got all those odds boosts um it seems like all of the odds boosts that go for milwaukee's favorite kale lately have been have been hitting so i'm gonna stick with those one, they keep winning, but also, like, Giannis, Middleton, they look very comfortable, I would say. Extremely comfortable out there. I don't have Eric with me today. I don't have Dev with me. I don't have Harrison with me. I don't have Vote with me. No distractions, because I have a fantastic guest who, if anybody has been doing their own personal draft research out there and stumbled across YouTube, you probably come across one of this guy's videos. He's been making great videos breaking down all of, pretty much all of the first round prospects, some of the second round prospects as well. Uh, and he is, of course, Adam Spinella. Adam, thanks for joining me, man. No, Adam, thank you for, for having me here. I hope there's room for two people named Adam today on the show, but uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll do my best to uh, to represent the name well. There's not many of us out there, but we're all great, to be honest with you. So, um, so you have, I mean, we're going to get into a lot of the prospects. Some of these guys we've already talked to, so or we've already talked about, you know, as we've been doing our draft prep, we're kind of going one guy per day. We've talked about Josh Primo, Ayu Desunmu, Quentin Grimes, who's one of my personal favorites. Um, but we got a couple, we're going to go with those guys and get more in-depth about them, because I think all of them are like targets for Denver. They're all guys that I would not be surprised if Denver took. A couple guys we're going to talk about today, who I'm actually, one of which I'm really excited about. I, I won't share which one, but we got Trey Mann and Trey Murphy, two Trays who are also available. We haven't talked about them uh, yet, but we'll get into it. But first, Adam, just, I want to kind of get to know, so you're in Maryland, you're a high school basketball coach, and you've been doing this for a while, making videos, do it, just providing analyst, uh, analysis on the NBA. How long have you been at this? Jeez, it would have been since my senior year in college, so this would be eight years now. Yeah, been a while doing this. Started just writing my own blog, uh, able to, to link up with a couple people because Twitter is an unbelievable resource for networking and, right. and finding your way out to just branch out your own network a little bit. So I've been fortunate to be doing this for a while and made the pivot maybe two, two and a half years ago over to a little bit more on YouTube as opposed to writing. I uh, thought that video was a missing format with especially draft content once ESPN snatched up all the Draft Express guys. So trying to help fill that void a little bit. 
It is true. Draft Express used to be my go-to. I mean, Mike Schmitz, they'd always have those videos out there. Um, so you're right that there's a void, but your videos have been fantastic. They've been my number one resource, I think, for all of these as I've kind of... I'm. Not, it's funny, there's NBA coverage and then there's NBA draft coverage. It's almost its own separate like artery where the people that focus on it, that seems to be their primary thing. And I get why. It takes a lot of time to scout a player. You can't... I, I always tell people when we're doing these analysis, I'm like, hey, I put about an hour into this. Like, I, there's no way I could know a player in one hour. Um, but, you know, to really get into it, is this, are you a college basketball guy? or is, Do you, like, prefer watching college? I'm all over the place with it. So uh, a lot of the the work that I do, I, you know, I'm coming to the high school ranks here. I spent the last four years coaching at the college level. So watching college was part of what I had to do for my job, uh, right. both in terms of watching film and and, you know, being able to compare to, to something more relatable to the level I was coaching at, but also on the recruiting circuit. You're out there and you see these guys that they're playing in the same gyms. I wasn't necessarily the one recruiting any of them, but being able to, to rub shoulders with people and have you know inside information here and there and just have those conversations helps prepare you a little bit for knowing what's coming down the line. And that's the, the easiest way to kind of get ahead quickly and figure out who you need to be paying attention to with the, the pre-draft process. What school are you at? I know you're at high school level now, but what were you? What college were you working with? I was with two Division three schools, uh, two years at Washington and Jefferson College, just outside of Pittsburgh, PA, and then two years at my alma mater, Dickinson College. Did you play? I Dickinson? did not. I was okay. uh, I was a student manager here. I probably led the team in claps per minute, there but uh, that was about it. I was a D three hooper as well, so I've got I've got lots of lots of respect for the D three hoopers. Although we never went that far east coast, I never never went all the way out there. Um, Let's talk real quickly about, because we have to hit on this. Last night's game four, by far the best game of the finals. It was, it was an absolutely, I thought, magnificent game, despite the fact that if Milwaukee would have lost that game, I think so much of the conversation would have been around some of the bad calls, because there were some really tough calls that went against them, especially the Booker, you know, Booker six foul, which I think he had two or three fouls on that one possession. Um, but fortunately, I was so impressed with the Bucks because the Bucks. They're, they're a team that's kind of built out of toughness. They're a little bit ugly. They're a little bit clunky. Like Drew Holiday last night couldn't throw the ball in the hoop no matter what he tried, but he grabbed an incredible offensive rebound in the final minute. Giannis made that incredible block shot. They just made all of the winning plays. Now, even the foul on Booker where Booker fouls Drew Holiday, Drew Holiday missed the layup, should have probably should have just gone out of bounds or fumbled and you have to reset, but Giannis made an incredible hustle play. So that's what stood out to me last night was that – Yes, Milwaukee was the more desperate team, and they played like it. But I also just think that they always bring it at that level. And and I think Phoenix is the more talented team, but the margins are so thin that those little plays are what determined it. It was, it was a great game from, from start to finish, I thought. The last few have been really, really well played on both ends. You know, Chris Paul struggled, and I'm not still not sure what to attribute that to. Maybe it's Holiday a little bit on the defensive end, getting into him and, and being a, as – you know, as strong of a veteran defensive point guard as you can find out there. The best, uh, but I it, think. It, I honestly think he's the best. He, he might be. And and as as Chris Paul goes, so go the Suns. I mean, Devin Booker had a fantastic night, but still wasn't able to to close things out on the offensive side. They they really need both of them going at the same time in order to to take somebody down. And and you you mentioned it with winning plays. It's something that as a coach, I'm always wired to look at those 50-50 loose balls, the you know, the one extra possession that you're able to create for yourselves. And and when Milwaukee lives in transition, they're great. If you're able to slow it down and make it a half court game, that's what really favors any team going against them. And 
And, you know, when Middleton's making shots and when Giannis is able to rebound and run and get out in transition and other guys are creating those extra possessions, they're going to be a hard team to beat. And we saw that in the final few minutes when they made that fervent comeback to really uh, seal the game for them. I love that we do this every time when a great player starts to struggle. It's like, I think he's injured. There's got to be some injury. Like, look, Chris Paul was injured in the first round. He came back and played great. He was injured in the second round against Denver, totally dominated. Then he wasn't injured anymore. Now he's injured again. Look, he might be, and he played really poorly, but I tend to credit this to Drew Holiday, who I think is maybe the best perimeter defender in the NBA and just did a fantastic job. I had so many people texting me last night saying, "Where Drew's got to step up. He's got to do this. And look, he, his offense was pretty rough last night. He missed a lot of shots that you kind of need him to hit. But I'm watching the game, and I'm thinking, he made so many winning plays, defensively, rebounding, transition, whatever it was, and... I actually think Drew Holiday is an up and down offensive player. I don't think he's, I don't think he's bad like he was last night, but I don't think he's good. I think he gives you good games every now and then, but defensively he's always elite. So, where are your expectations for him offensively, and even just with what he's provided in the series so far? I think his best role is right now being more of a, a catch and shoot guy if he if he can make them. Uh, that's yeah, you know you know there's a difference between being a shooter and being a shot maker. And right now he's a shooter uh, because he he knows that that's the best path for him on offense. But everything has to run through Giannis and Middleton. I don't think there's much room for Holiday to be playing out of the pick and roll. And right. you know part of that comes from. You know, Middleton scores in isolation. He's very good with his back to the basket and can make really tough jumpers from three or from the elbows. That kind of mitigates having Giannis stand on the weak side. Uh, I I really struggle with Holiday and the ball in his hands. What do you do with Giannis? Because I think that makes them a little bit more predictable and easy to guard. Do you have a rooting interest in this series? Is there a team you're kind of pulling for? No, not not really. I always I always say I just love watching good basketball. Um, you know, if there's one team who I enjoy watching more, it's probably Phoenix. I think they're just a well-oiled machine and top to bottom. I, I really respect the the job that James Jones has done of assembling a roster this yeah. quickly to compete at a championship level. And that just, again, has very few, if any, weaknesses. So I, I admire so much about the Suns and, and who they are as a as a team and an organization right now. But I'm not necessarily rooting for them. I think it would be great for Giannis to get over the hump and, and win a championship here. Great for the city of Milwaukee and and one of the smaller NBA markets to, to come away with a, a title. This is more or less how I feel about it. From a basketball standpoint, the Suns are one of my favorite teams. Like They move the ball so well. They've got playmakers and defenders at every position. Like. They're pretty balanced, even though they have top-heavy talent, you know, in Booker and Aiton and, and CP3. Uh, but I just like all of the guys, all their role players and everything. Yeah. But I can't, I'm rooting for Giannis. Sometimes I don't know who I'm rooting for until I'm watching it. As I'm watching it, I'm like, come on, do this. And I think um, – so stylistically, Phoenix for sure is my favorite team, but uh, I'm pulling for Milwaukee for whatever reason. And I think they have a good chance. I think at this point – I might. I'm so wishy-washy. It's a coin flip. I think it's a coin flip, actually. Is that a cop-out? I – I struggle with it too because I think Milwaukee is the best player, uh, which oh, gotta, yeah, they got that's got to count for something. But Phoenix, you know, like we mentioned, is a little bit more aesthetically pleasing, maybe a little bit more of a well-oiled machine. We've seen hiccups come and throw the Bucks offense a little bit off track in the past, it, so uh, it's it's hard to to know who to lean towards right now. But Phoenix has home court advantage, so I, I think that slightly throws it in their favor. Yeah, I think you got to get a big shooting performance from somebody you don't necessarily expect in Phoenix, which is, you know, we'll see if that happens. Um, and we move on real quick to talk about some of these these guys. I want to first go backwards. And as we were getting ready for the show, you surprised me. 
because I asked you about some of the guys from last year's Nuggets draft, and we're going to talk about Zeke Naji in a second, but you said you liked Marcus Howard, and I'm surprised by this. Yeah. My my impression of Marcus Howard, he played way better than I thought in the playoffs. I didn't think I didn't think he'd play a second of playoff basketball this year. He's in the playoffs playing real minutes. And I and he shot the ball well. But to me, he's a bit of a chucker. Doesn't have like the best feel for the game. He's not a defender. Uh he's just a shooter. Am I wrong? Am I missing something with him? Or you just think he's that good of a shooter that he could he could get away with that role? He yeah, he is who he is. Um and you have to take that for what it is you're not going to transform him into becoming this all of a sudden different defensive minded type type of player like you hit the nail on the head he's a shooter a prolific shot maker he was that way at marquette and he showed exactly what that translates to in the nba he can come in and score points in a hurry and heat it up off a bench uh but the longer minutes that he plays the more likely it is that he shoots himself or his team out of the game and into a lower percentage and he's going to certainly give a lot of points back on the defensive end if you're asking me if there's a role for a guy like that in the nba i absolutely think so i think he can he deserves to be on an nba roster and can come in and play whatever bench role you might need him to but the larger that role increases to be the more chances there are that he gets exposed in some sort of way so what is his like? Let's say he reaches his ceiling as a prospect. What what does that look like? A sixth man shooting guard? Probably the best comparison for it would be similar to like a Nate Robinson, where just come in, play with the ball in his hands, instant offense. He plays differently than Nate. Nate's a lot more of an attack the basket type of guy, where Howard is almost exclusively jump shots, and that's not a bad thing. I think that that plays into the the math of where today's game is at right now in a favorable way for Howard. Uh, but always going to be a work in progress on defense uh, and and just really does limit his his upside for heavy minutes in a, a competitive playoff series. And that's the thing that, I mean, the, the more I cover the NBA, and part of this is the way I think the NBA is evolving, but it's becoming even more separate, like, playoffs in regular season. And that's, I'm watching the finals. Look, Marcus Howard had an impact in the Portland series, the first round. Portland, not a very good defensive team. You get to that second round, okay, it got a lot harder for everybody. By the time you get to a finals, you're talking Phoenix, Milwaukee. I can't imagine Marcus Howard playing five minutes in in a final series at, at, when you get to this level. No, no, it's it's a very different type of game, and and that's where going through this draft process over the last few years, I, I think a lot philosophically about the type of players that I like, the positions that you're trying to draft for, how do you value X versus Y, or, or whatever the debate ends up being, and I think you have to always frame it in terms of what's going to give you postseason success. There were guys, and, and I, I don't love the term empty calories or empty stats right, because sure. I think any type of production that you have is always going to be a positive for your team. But I think that term is almost synonymous with regular season success because the style of play that you have either doesn't hold up in the playoffs or you have physical traits that are going to allow you to be exposed in the playoffs and what you offer on the other end doesn't do enough to counteract it. Right. All right. Let's let's move on to Zeke Naji because I'm, I might be the the captain of the Zeke Naji hype train. I'm a big Zeke Naji fan, and I wasn't at the draft. Like he was one of those guys that I looked at the video and I thought, oh, part of this is when you look at a guy in college, these guys all look enormous, and Zeke Naji looked like DeAndre Jordan almost. You know, and then they say, okay, he can move his feet, this or that. I watched him this year, and I really do think he can be a perimeter defender in the NBA. You know, for a forward. Because he moves his feet that naturally, and then of course his three point shot was was gorgeous. 
What's your scout on Zeke Naji, and did you get a chance to watch him at all this year with Denver? I watched a little bit. Um, you know, I, I always want to see instantly after going through the draft process, what are you right on? What did you miss on? And and what are some of the instant, uh, you know, feedback loops that you can get from any of that? The, the biggest thing on Naji, I wasn't sure how the jump shot projected coming out of the coming out of his freshman year at Arizona and right. coming to Denver. Um, he showed promise from the mid-range, wasn't consistently making them to three. Now, during the pre-draft workout and process, everyone was raving about his three-point jump shot, right. right? He had driven it out to range, and it was consistent. The stroke looked beautiful. But if you listen to pre-draft chatter every year, there are probably 15 or 20 guys that agents and, and buzz online are saying, oh, the jumper looks great. Right. And only maybe two or three of them end up translating. So personally, I just try not to put too much stock into the open gym workouts and the the scatter, uh, you know, the scutterbutt that you're hearing in the pre-draft process. So to see him come in and shoot the ball as well as he did effectively, both off pick and pop actions and just spotting up in the corners, really encouraging for him. The, the defensive upside and being that high motor energy type of big, like you, I know you mentioned uh, DeAndre Jordan a little bit, like just being somebody who plays the hardest that they always can on the floor. That's a skill nowadays. Yeah. And that to me was always Najee's best trait coming out of the draft was that he was going to be, a high energy player on both ends of the floor and do embrace whatever role you asked him to embrace. And it seems like he's a fantastic teammate, a great locker room kid, really, really well-spoken. Uh, I, I have not heard one negative thing about him off the floor uh, throughout the, the entire time I've, I've seen him play. I don't think there are any negative things to be said about him. I mean, I think he's a legitimate, you know, case of just like a great, you know, a, a great worker, good, got a good head on the shoulders and all that stuff. Good family. Um, he finished, by the way, shooting 40.7% from three, which is the sixth best mark amongst rookies. It was only 24 of 59, so it's not like it's that big of a sample size. Although 59 is not that small either for a 72-game season and a guy that wasn't really playing. When he got in, he shot threes, and he made them pretty consistently. I think it, it's so funny you brought up his numbers at Arizona because he didn't shoot very many, and they weren't. it wasn't very good. But he's a guy that you look at his jump shot, and it's such a pretty textbook form. He has one of the most textbook jumpers, in my opinion, that of, of anybody in the league, not just rookies. And so trying to say, oh, I could see that going back, that's a dangerous game to play. But at the same time, it's such a pretty shot, that, and he has a big frame. He's not a guy that's like has to really dip to get the ball up. He's a strong dude. Right. To me, it's not a surprise, especially knowing that he was a shooter coming out of high school, went to Arizona, was not a shooter from the three-point line, and now he is again. How do you balance that when you're evaluating a player? How much of that is like you look at the team and what's being asked of a player in that system? How much of it is the form on the shot? And then how much of it is, hey, the numbers don't usually don't lie? Yeah, first and foremost is looking at the team and the system, what the player is asked to do. Um, you know, an understanding of college basketball would lead you to believe that these are coaches who sign million-dollar contracts, and if they have one bad year, they're putting their own personal stakes in, in jeopardy. So right. they have to do whatever they have to do to win games. And that means a lot of times these are kids that are sacrificing maybe their their own draft stock or what might be best for their individual game in order to do what the team needs them to. So you always have to parse out not just, you know, what circumstances that might be taking place in, but what is the system of the team that you're evaluating? What are they being asked to do? Is this a ball screen coverage that they run every time? Is this something they tailor make to their opponents? You know, especially for point guards, we talk a lot about the spread pick and roll in the NBA because pretty much any team does that in some form in their offense, particularly late clock. 
well, there's not always the same type of spacing in a college offense. So when you're evaluating talent and trying to see, does he make this read or that read and this pass right, on right. time, the, it's apples to oranges because the, the ball screen offense and the spacing is not the same. Right. So you have to parse through that first. So here's my scout, and then you can tell me to what extent you agree or disagree. I'm extremely high on Zeke Naji because I think he is a – guy who is likely to reach his ceiling, albeit maybe a lower ceiling than like, he's not an all-star player. He's nothing like that. But I think he's a guy that's going to be a very low mistake player very quickly. He's going to knock down spot up three pointers, and he's probably going to move his feet on the perimeter so that he can guard threes and fours. And he's got the size to guard, you know, second unit fives, most second unit fives. Um, So I think he'll be a versatile defender, three and D type forward. And I think that Denver could really use that. And I think he might be one of the better ones of those, actually, for his size, given his size and, and, and his mobility. What do you think about that? I think that's a, a fair, uh, you know, glass half full type of look at, at Najee. If if we're looking at how all things would align where he plays to the best of his abilities, that seems to be who he is. I think he's much more of a four than he is a three of for any sure. kind. Um, you know, part of that is probably just what's racked in my brain about watching him play more at Arizona than in the time he was with the As Nuggets. A five. As a five, yeah, as a five. So uh, I think that his best role is as an energy four hybrid five can play in some smaller lineups. The switchability on the perimeter is huge, especially if he's at the five and they need to go smaller and, and, you know, minutes when, when Jokic isn't out there, but that's, those are the biggest things to me is that he's going to reach his ceiling because he's a great kid, a hard worker, and things are very simple for, you know, the development plan for him moving forward. He's not asked to do anything or be something that he's not capable of being. So if we just go through this year with Denver in the playoffs, okay, can he guard, um, if they were to play the Clippers, can he guard Marcus Morris? I think so. I think no question. Can he guard Paul George? Would he? And look, nobody's going to shut him down, but could he, could he guard him? Yeah, that's a complicated question because if, you know, if you switch on to somebody late clock and you have one possession and you just need to make them do, you know, take a shot that's probably not in their favor. You have the element of surprise on your side and there's five seconds. Yeah, you can be an, a, an effective defender for that sample. But if you're asking yeah. somebody to guard in possession after primary, possession, primary assignment, or, yeah. or if the Clippers know that you're switching ball screens every single time, they're going to find ways to exploit right. Najee in those. I mean, Paul George is, is a ridiculously talented offensive player. Yeah. Well, those are the types of guys when you ask about, it's it's fun to say, could he guard, you know, Covington or like, of course, but that's, that's not going to get you the championship. You're going to have to, if Michael Porter's on the court with you, you got to have somebody in your forward spot that can guard these three, four combos. And if it's not Najee, then, then maybe your Najee MPJ combo is not the future. Well, and going back to the NBA finals right now, like I don't think Pat Connaughton is an overwhelmingly poor defender. But Devin Booker is salivating anytime right, right. he get he gets Connaughton on a switch because it's for him that's a comparative advantage and, and that's where the best of the best in the NBA like Najee's not a poor defender and I don't think he ever will be in the NBA but we're talking about the best of the best wing scorers and players in the world and that's that's a you got to be an incredibly high level defender to survive on them possession after possession. All right, Kale, why don't we hit our first break? On the other side, though, we're going to establish what it is that the Nuggets need uh, from, you know, just kind of talk about the roster, see if we can get on the same page for what kind of where they are at in their development, what kind of player they need, including talking about Michael Porter Jr. But first, guys, our first sponsor today, Ball. You guys know Ball, the sponsor of Ball Arena, also the sponsor of the DNVR uh, network, all of our podcasts. They are the world's largest aluminum can and packaging manufacturer, and, you know, they've got their uh, facilities right there in Golden, Colorado. 
By 2030, Ball aims to reduce operational carbon emissions by 55% and across their value chain by 16% from 2017 levels. Really cool company. We talked about this, how Ball replaced Pepsi. Pepsi, a big giant polluter. Ball looking for the sustainable and renewable energy sources and, and materials. And I think it's really cool. And one of the cool things is right now they're looking to hire some people. So engineers and just regular employees, if you are looking for work right now and you want to work up in Golden for a fantastic company looking for, again, these sustainable and renewable uh, materials, you can apply for their position at their aluminum cam plant by texting GOLDEN to 77222 or go to jobs.ball.com and search for GOLDEN. That's jobs.ball.com and search for GOLDEN. Check them out. Also today, guys, DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. You guys know them. We talk about them every single day. We usually give you guys bets. I don't know. This game five is too close for me to really go out on a limb and give you what the bet is. But they do have a deal right now where if you sign up uh, using DraftKings Sportsbook America's top-rated sportsbook app, you have a chance to put $1 on either team, $1 on either Milwaukee or Phoenix, and you can get $150 in site credits if you hit on them. So whichever team wins game five, you get it right. You get $150 return on your $1 bet. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. So download the top-rated sportsbook app right now and use promo code DNVR when you sign up to take advantage of that $1 bet to win $150. Uh, must be 21 or older, Colorado only, new customers only, restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. And if you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. All right, back here on the DNVR Nuggets podcast, and I'm joined by Adam Spinella, who's done some great work on the NBA draft. Let's just set a baseline here. Denver lost Jamal Murray. They ended up winning a bunch of games down the stretch. I mean, they actually got better to, to close the season than they were even with Jamal. Won the first round, looked pretty good. Absolutely obliterated by the Phoenix Suns. Absolutely obliterated. Was not close in any of the games. How can you? How do you personally evaluate where Denver at, is at as a title contender, having to sift through them not having their second best player, and not just him, but Will Barton and PJ Dozier as well? Yeah, it's, there's there's a lot to unpack with with that question there, Adam. Um, I think hand in hand with the evaluation of the current guys that they have on the roster has to be the the cap sheet and what contracts right. are coming due and, and how this all comes forward. So the biggest two things for me are looking down the pipe, seeing Michael Porter Jr. is going to be probably do a, a massive raise coming up, whether that's through extension or if they play out the final year of the deal and wait another year to, to deal with that. And then Aaron Gordon is going to be a, a free agent uh, next summer as well, I believe. So having four players that your core is built around, you have to ask yourself two questions. One, is that a championship level core? And looking at the evidence of the time that they've played together, I think the answer is yes. I know it's a little bit of a small sample before Murray tore his ACL and, and, and after Gordon was acquired at the trade deadline. But the way that all those pieces fit together is uh, as much offensive talent with one great defensive player there in Gordon that you can really create a balanced team around. So that's the first part of this. The second part of it is how do you fill in the gaps to maximize that group? And, and that's where, you know, being smart with the 26th pick this year, making the right moves in terms of what veterans they sign, which ones they keep, how long of a deal they try to ink somebody that would be the immediate term fill in for Jamal Murray while he's recovering from his his ACL injury becomes really important. Because I don't know about you, I thought Austin Rivers was a, a really shrewd signing by the front office because he's the exact type of guy you know, that can come in and play that offensive role without costing the team too much money. But now if we're talking about 
in order to keep him, he needs to sign a three-year deal that's above the mid-level exception. Now we're talking about you know, really crowded type of cap space. Um, Will it cost that much for Austin Rivers? I mean, he was a guy that was sitting no, there for two months. Yeah, it won't cost that much. But those are the questions that whether it's right. him, whether it's you know dealing with Will Barton's next contract if he does right. opt out, or you know Jamichael Green and and how that might might play into the offseason plans. Every single domino that falls is going to change the perception of how they build this roster around that core four. Um, I think that it is a championship level core. It's just uh, they probably need a couple of role-player defenders, a few more guys to come in and, and hit shots, and find some veterans that are willing to come in and, and play the roles that we've seen on teams like Phoenix or Milwaukee or, or the two teams in L.A. who are just ready to take that pay cut and be more of a role-player that, uh, that can help a team win. For everybody that's in the chat right now, I see a bunch of you there. If you do have questions for Adam, send those out. Super Producer Kale will be marking the ones that, that come in, and in the final segment, we'll get to a lot of those questions. So if there's a prospect you want to talk about, um, you want to throw out at him, you can you can do that. He's well-versed in, in pretty much all of the guys that we could possibly talk about today. Um, let's get into the list of players that, that we kind of have on the docket. And we'll start with the two. We'll start with the two players that we have not talked about on this show yet. And the first one will be, let's do Trey Murphy, um, the third first. What can you tell me about him? Quintessential 3 and D type of prospect. So Murphy started his college career at Rice in Texas, which uh, plays, I believe, in the Conference USA. Not a great level of competition. And he transferred up to Virginia. And there was this anticipation that he was going to actually redshirt this year, sit out and not participate at all. But after going through workouts, Tony Bennett and the entire staff looked at this kid and said, you have to play. You're ready right now. There was a little bit of concern about him physically because he's long and lean. He's about six foot eight and, and has a seven foot wingspan, but he's very, very skinny. So moving up from a lower level of competition into the ACC, which is known for athleticism and physicality, there were question marks for him in his camp uh, coming right. into the season. But he, uh, he, he impressed quite a bit and, and really jumped out as somebody that's going to be able to to make that immediate 3 and D type of role in the NBA because he put up a 50-40-90 season in high major college basketball, which is is very, very rare. Uh, a lot of the other guys that end up doing that are high-volume scorers, and Murphy isn't that. He's mostly catch and shoot. Uh, if he does have anything at the rim, it's off of back cuts or in transition, not necessarily self-created. But to get a 50-40-90 statistical player who's also a, a lockdown defender with a, a seven-foot wingspan can probably guard two, if not three positions, that's really, really strong for uh, for a pick in the 26th range. Here's what's interesting about about Trey Murphy. I, correct me if I'm wrong because I am not a college basketball guy. I watch the tournament. I love the tournament but in some of the conference tournaments. But you know, Virginia and Villanova are the two schools that I feel like most – you know, your role players come out really smart. They just seem to know the game and, and they know they're cutting angle. This one of the things that stood out to me about Trey Murphy is he was really had some nice cuts. And you think about playing alongside a Jokic and a Murray, like being a good cutter is gonna be big. Um, but one of the questions I have is he projects as a college role player. And I wonder what the track record is for guys that are kind of role players in college to also be role players in the NBA. It seems like most of the guys that get drafted are closer to being your first or second best players and then they get formed into role players but he's kind of a college role player from what i've seen yeah pros and cons to that right i mean the the obvious flip side to that answer from from my vantage point is he knows exactly what his expectations are and he's not going to try to overstretch his role by any means uh the the onus is on the the person scouting to be able to say is what he's doing going to 
hold up against a higher level of competition, a different type of athlete. And he looks so freakishly athletic in a lot of these right. finishes that you're seeing right now that I don't think the athleticism is, is really going to, to phase him. Uh, he certainly needs to add strength because he right. is a little bit thin. That's something that's, that's evident in, in watching him play or just even seeing him personally. But every indication is that he's a great high character kid, a really, really hard worker. And, you know, the consistency of his jump shot statistically it translates you look at it every time it's pretty much the same form coming out i mean those are levels of consistency that yes you're right he's he's not the best player on his on his college team but man it's hard to to you know not believe in what your eyes are showing you how tall so he's six eight or six nine yeah he's right on that borderline there i didn't get the official nba combine measurements in a lot of these videos uh these were yeah. put out you know before the the official combine measurements but he's right around that range with a, a plus wingspan and again that really high release with those those long arms it's it's hard to contest those on the perimeter what position do you think he is in the nba small forward yeah he's more of a three uh i think of position as who you guard not necessarily what your offensive role is and and with him being more of a spot up threat, um, you know, defensively, I think maybe two, three, and some less physical force, he'd be fine on. So this was the guy of the two we we're talking about that I actually really liked. Forty two percent on catch and shoot threes. Um, really, as you mentioned, great shot selection, just good movement off ball, good cutting, um, and he does really seem to understand his role. Um, you know, the great length, it seems like he's a, a focus guy. It seems like he's a guy that doesn't like blow a lot of assignments offensively or defensively through. And it's funny how many guys, when we're going through this list, some of the guys we're going to talk about here in a minute do blow their assignments a lot where you're just like, man, this guy's a space cadet. Um, he doesn't cross me as that. He seems like a very locked in guy. Yeah, I think that there's always room to continue to improve. Like we talked about earlier, the the NBA level of standard that we're trying to compare to is in the postseason play right now. So I look at the defensive upside of a guy like Mikhail Bridges, who's having an unbelievable impact, especially in the earlier parts of the postseason, and and, uh, and that's where you see somebody like Murphy being the you know the card in the deck that can maybe be something similar defensively. Well, Bridges is one of my favorite players. We were talking earlier um, in the month about. You know Michael Porter versus Bridges, which is like a high upside star player who has a long way to go versus a pretty surefire elite role player in Bridges. And I think and a lot of people don't like that conversation because it's so it's so polarizing because of how talented Michael Porter is. Um, but these surefire, like they know what they're going to do, guys. Every team needs them, um, and and you can really discount them too much i think when you evaluate them one difference though and it's interesting that that's the highlight that came up as i say this mikhail bridges is not a great straight line driver but he is pretty competent he's actually impressed me in this playoff run of a guy that like closes attacks closeouts really well and and converts him and that's one of the things you mentioned he wasn't necessarily good at is attacking closeouts in fact the numbers on this were insane let me let me get this 12 dribble jumpers last season he just took 12 and he was one of six on shots attacking the rim off of closeouts six yep yeah he's uh he's that type of guy he's not going to put the ball on the floor and mm. you know a solid cutter can he finish at the basket yeah he's athletic enough that he can finish when he's there but it's the process of getting there and, and that's i think what scares a lot of people from saying he's a surefire three and d type right. of prospect because if he's not getting clean shots from the perimeter 
what has he really given you offensively in the half court? So it all depends on the structure that you put him in. I'm also not overwhelmingly high on Murphy being a, a movement shooter. You know, I think a guy like right, Bridges does a de- yeah does a decent job off screens, moves his feet, has good hip hip to- turns. If you look at it, pretty much all of Murphy's shots from the perimeter, I, I guess there's the one off spot yeah, ups that we just is. saw. Uh, pretty much all of of Murphy's shots from three are pretty square to the basket with his yeah. chest being there. Okay. Um, yeah, he's a, he's a really interesting. Those low those low numbers, um, just in terms of attempts, are, are really interesting. I asked this question yesterday. Let's assume Denver's core, not just next year, but for the next two seasons, is Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr., Aaron Gordon, and Nikola Jokic. So you need a you need a two, and I know he's not a two, but this is just a philosophical question. Would you rather have a defensive player who can shoot the three, or a defensive player who can drive to the basket and maybe play make a little bit, but can't shoot? Oh, extra uh, playmaking or extra shooting from your through your your defensive shooting guard? Probably extra shooting, um, okay. but it's that's that's close. That's a really tough one. Yeah, I think it's tough too, and it's so rare that you find a three and D and playmaking player. Like those are really good players. Yeah. Um, all right, let's move on to the next guy on our list, which is Trey Mann. Trey Mann out of Florida. Uh, he has people who on the NBA draft Twitter community and online are really, really high on Trey Mann. Some people think that he might end up sneaking into the lottery. I find that pretty high. Um, he's about a six foot five scoring guard. And what he does incredibly well is make tough jumpers, especially from deep three point range. It's uh, it's that tantalizing skill that, you know, the best NBA scoring guards are able to really hurt teams from far behind the three point line. And when you have that element in your offense, it adds so much. You surround, you know, whether it's Nikola Jokic as a a short role playmaker or another big who it just it lightens the load on because defenses are now being aggressive to come up and deter that guy from shooting the three. Trey Mann's upside to become that is really, really high. He was one of the most, if not the most high volume, prolific uh, you know, off the dribble scores in college basketball this past year. Right. And he did so on high volume and he did so in a really tough league in the SEC. All those things matter and translate, but it, you know, man certainly has um, warts in his game. He's not a great defender. I think that he's not as great of a pick and roll playmaker as it makes it. He, you know, seems to be, um, he's a solid passer, but I think he favors the shot a little bit more than just making the right play. And a lot of that comes from the fact that, you know, we talked about uh, Marcus Howard a little bit earlier. Like right. guys who are more jump shot driven don't collapse defenses as much because they're not putting pressure on the rim. So in terms of viewing man as more of a pick and roll creator for others, I think all that comes from is stretching defenses beyond the three-point line, making a pocket pass and dumping it off to his screener and letting good things happen. Now, if you're asking me what type of offense would fit him best, it would be a place like Denver where you have Jokic on the short roll that you could get to. Uh, I, I really think about the the backcourt of Man Murray surrounding Jokic and, and how much spacing there is for, yeah. for the MVP to really just dominate on the interior and make any type of play that he wants from from the top of the key with two shooting threats that are cutting around him. Uh, that's that's a lethal type of offense. But I don't know if um, you know if the defensive worries are necessarily worth it higher than 26 26 would be about the highest that i would i would really consider taking him so you might read a lot of stuff online on on trey man and see him mentioned a little bit higher some people that really love him you'd have to 
definitely believe that it's worth some of the defensive miscues that he's gonna gonna cough up. He, he um he, the guy he reminds me most of when I watch just some of this is just the movements and, the, and his favorite move that step back and sidestep. But he really looks to me like a CJ McCollum. Really, his shot is so balanced and pretty. It looks really replicable. But a lot of his shots are that. Like like this one here, I'm sure he's about to do it. Oh no, that's a catch and shoot. But a lot of these just like sidestepping shots that um they get him open mid rangers and at the I don't know if he's gonna be making those from the three point line in the NBA probably soon, maybe not right away. Um, does he remind you or where where does he rank in terms of best shooters when I when you talk about shot versatility because he's a good deep three point shooter sidestep you know off the dribble where does he rank there. He's pretty high in this class. Um, I think that one thing this class doesn't have a ton of are guys who are versatile in both scoring off the bounce and from catch and shoot. Mm-hmm. It's kind of an either or in this class. So man would be one of the best combinations of the two, particularly later in the first round. Like the best guy to me who's the combination of that's Cade Cunningham. But right. there's uh, – I'm going to say 0% chance that he falls to the Nuggets at 26. So it's all about the the combination of skills that he has. I, I do think he's going to be very good in playing off ball, which is why I list him more as a combo guard than as a true yeah. point guard. Uh, he's he's six foot five, and while he's best with the ball in his hands, he's going to be functional in playing off of it. But again, there's there, there are warts to it. He's got a, a negative wingspan. Not incredibly impressive as a defensive prospect, and I don't think he's he's a great finisher. Uh, he's much more away from the basket, jump shot driven, which we've seen the success for that in Denver. If you have a guy like Marcus Howard, um, but there's you know you're given a four year contract and trying to invest a lot in a younger guy when other picks might be available, you have to really fall in love with the shot making in order to justify taking him. You're being uh, I think a little generous to his defense because I thought he looked like a. Not a no hoper defensive player, but I, I I don't think he'll be a average defender at the NBA level. Am I being too harsh, or are you just being friendly? I am the eternal optimist here, Adam. <laughs> okay. um, it, you know there are always seams and ways to hide the most effective offensive players, uh, but when you're talking about the difference between where I have man on my board, like I think I think I have him 28th right now, like barely sneaking into the the end okay. of the first round on my big board. Like a lot of that is why offensively he's a top 20 type of talent but the defensive concerns are are real for me yeah uh he, that's why he's off my board is as much as i really like his jumper and i think he'll be a really good three-point shooter um denver <laughs> has got to start adding some defenders at some point he's he's not the answer there um why did he only shoot 27 and a half percent from three his freshman season it's a great question uh and it's something that's come up a lot in a lot of this pre-def process for for looking at a guy like him or even scotty lewis one of his teammates from florida who's more of a fringe second round prospect i don't have a great answer for you uh, mm. adjustment to the college game is always difficult you know freshman year can be make or break for guys but if you're asking me kind of a, a layered question of is the fact that he didn't have a good freshman season a little bit troublesome throughout this process maybe a tad um I don't have a, a great explanation for why it happened other than to say that it's certainly something that I'm not ignoring in my evaluation. Let's compare him now to Chris Duarte, another guy that's on our list, another shooter, another guy who I don't think has tons of defensive upside. What's different about to tell me about Chris Duarte and maybe start by comparing him to Trey Mann. Yeah, Mann is probably 
85% of the time ball in his hands, 15% right. without it through what he's shown in college. Chris Duarte is a lot more off ball movement spot up on the perimeter while having the capability of creating and knocking down his own shot. We also talked about proven commodities versus guys that maybe right. have, you know, inconsistent numbers. Like we mentioned with man, the, the difference from freshman to sophomore year in terms of his, his shooting splits. Uh, Duarte is going to be 24 before he plays an NBA game. He's a proven commodity. He was an unbelievable junior college player and backed up that with great production in the Pac-12 and consistent shooting numbers for an Oregon team that has always been underrated in my mind. Um, Duarte, if you look at the comments section on a lot of the, the YouTube videos that we have on him, a lot of people try to liken him to Clay Thompson. I, I think that's a, a lot of a stretch because Clay's first off a phenomenal defender. Um, but it's a flattering comparison in terms of how simple, pure, and effective his jump shot is based on any type of, of catching form. Uh, right. I think that Michael Malone is an unbelievable coach, and I think that Denver's playbook, including movement, whether it's cutting, screen-the-screener actions, just unique things that they can do because they have this versatile five-man creator in Jokic, you want a, a guy that's going to come in here and be able to be used in many different types of ways. Where, you know, going back to the Trey Murphy comparisons earlier, he's just a catch and shoot guy on the perimeter, not very projectable off movement. Duarte can hit any shot in the book off of any type of screen going either direction. So having those already in his bag is, um, again, a proven commodity where if you're chasing a championship right now and Duarte is available, you understand why he sneaks into the first round. Uh, but at 24 years old, you're, uh, you're not getting a guy who's probably going to be around here for the next decade. And that's not that you need to think that far. I think teams can get in trouble trying to think that far. Denver has their core guys, so now you're just talking about guys that none of them will be here for more than three or four years, most likely. Um, but with Duarte, one of my questions is: it's a first-round pick. He's it, 24 years old. I just can you find 24-year-olds for free, a la a uh, Tory Craig or Faku Campazo, guys that are they've already been playing other play. I think. Uh, Tory Craig was 24 or 25 when Denver picked him up. Can you find those guys without using a pick who are at least close enough to what, who Chris Duarte is? Yeah, it's a, a lot of different answers I could give to that one. So I think with Duarte being such a good shooting specialist, a proven commodity at a position that pretty much any team needs, yeah. I'd say that he's probably worth taking then instead of trying to say, hey, we can find somebody else of that age. But uh, when it comes to comparing what you should do with that draft pick, the qu there are two questions to ask. One is, is somebody else going to be at 24 years old the same type of player that Duarte is now? Right. And even if the answer is yes, the question, too, becomes, is it worth taking Duarte anyway because we need that production now? Right. And, right. again, Denver with the open title window, if he's around at 26, I think the answer is yes. Um you know, the Pac-12 seemed to be a little bit kinder to his defense than I was in terms of valuation there. But I do think he's underrated in terms of how he attacks the basket. He's a better athlete than he gets credit for. Not overwhelmingly long, a little bit more of a ball hawk on defense than somebody who's just going to sit down and guard you really solid for a full 24-second shot clock. Gotcha. Uh, but, but again, 26th pick. Proven commodity, really good shooter that would help the offense and is able to play the two and maybe the three position. Uh, I, th I think Duarte is a, a, a good target for Denver. Where does he rank amongst most ready-to-play prospects outside of your like top three or four guys? 
Yeah, I think I have Corey Kispert from Gonzaga in a same type of role, but slightly ahead of him uh, due to Kispert's added physicality, a little bit more size, and the functionality of the way that he's used in in NBA type of actions. Uh, But I think he's he's pretty high up there. Uh, Most big men are not going to make that list because, as we've seen with DeAndre Ayton, it takes a while to get adjusted to to the NBA from a big man perspective. Uh, I'd say Duarte is – One of those like Dylan Brooks type of guys. I know it's an easy comparison because he's coming from Oregon. But when Brooks came into the NBA, he was really ready to compete from day one. I would expect the same type of output early in his career from Duarte. He's not as much of a gunner as Dylan Brooks is, is he? Uh, Not irrationally so, uh, but he, he he does get him up. Okay. All right, Kay, let's take another break. On the other side, though, we still have uh, three more prospects, plus what other questions you guys have for us. Um, so we'll hit those on the other side. First, I want to tell you guys about Solace Meds, one of our new partners. Dispensary right here in Denver. You guys know they have four locations. They got one in Fort Collins, Wheat Ridge, Broadway, and then one just a couple blocks down the street from the DNVR bar on East Colfax. They've got all of the best deals on gummies. They've got the drinks and edibles. They've also got, of course, your flour, concentrates, all of that stuff. And if you go in and mention DNVR, just wear a DNVR hat, use promo code DNVR20, you save 20% off and and get a free Solace Bar or King Cone. That's DNVR20 at checkout. And one of the cool things about Solace Meds is just they have their online ordering system. So you can go to solacemeds.com and use the promo code online checkout. All you have to do is swing by and pick up your order so you're in and out the door. Also want to tell you about Chevalier Mortgage. I don't know, I haven't said this for a while. I don't know if you guys know this, but for 10 years before I became an NBA analyst, I was a real estate investor. So I know all about the value of purchasing homes, refinancing a home. If you got into a house, you know, five, six years ago, you can take advantage of the rates and where they are at right now. But most important of all, if you don't know anything about buying a home and you want to know, Start the process by calling Chevalier Mortgage. Talk to Mike or Virginia Chevalier, and they will walk you through. It might sound intimidating. might sound like it's something you'll never achieve or you don't know what to do, but you will never achieve it if you never make the phone call. You make the phone call, even if you're not ready now, they can walk you through the steps it would take to get you ready in three months, six months, or a year's time. And I promise you it'll be one of the best decisions you ever make. Uh, You can call Virginia Chevalier directly at 303-257-6578 or visit dnvrmortgage.com. How easy is that to remember? dnvrmortgage.com. Or you can call Mike directly at 970-412-2472. NMLS number for Michael Chevalier is 1931006. For Virginia, it is 1910631. Last one here. I want to tell you about Hassle Cattle Company. I should have Eric hop on just to give you the Hassle Cattle Company hard sell because you guys know that's his favorite company. We brought you damn good beef, our damn good beer. Now we've got damn good beef because you can order from HassleCattleCompany.com, H-A-S-S-E-L-L, CattleCompany.com and get the best farm-to-table Wagyu beef you can get anywhere in the USA. This is a family-owned company out of Texas and they ship all over the USA. You go on their website, you click the different steak cuts that you want. They've got the Denver steak, the flake steak, the ribeye. You just pick what you want. They'll put it in a cooler and ship it straight to your door. And right now they have the deal, $9.99 for a flank steak. You can buy three and get the fourth one free when you use promo code DNVR flank. Or you can get 10% off your whole order when you use DNVR10 as your promo code. And of course, orders of $200 or more, you get free shipping. I promise, you get these, you will not be disappointed. You might actually, I should give a warning, you might become addicted like Eric is. Become addicted to the Hassle Cattle Company. Um, that does it. Oh, okay. He's, Eric hops in the chat just to say marbling. I didn't even mention marbling. I should have mentioned it. Marbling. Look how happy Eric is. Look at that face. Pure happiness. Before Hassle Cattle Company, he was nothing like that. He was he was sad. He was miserable. 
Um, but he's become made happier. All right, let's move on to these last ones here. Um, Ayu Desumu, let's go there. We we talked about him a week or two ago. What what can you tell me about him? I'm a big fan of Aya just because I think basketball players who make winning plays need to be valued. Uh, where I've struggled the most with my evaluation of him is trying to figure out what his go-to skill is in the NBA. I think that there's a lot of really good traits that he shows on the defensive end, on the offensive end, but I don't know if any of them are elite enough to say this is his role if he's not mm. turning into a starting caliber player. Um, that said, I also see uh, uh, I've compared him to Donovan Mitchell in terms of the upside to score with the ball in his hands. Uh, I, I love the defense first. I'm glad that you put that atop the the pros here. He's a really long wingspan type of defender. I believe he's 6'5 with about a 6'9 wingspan. So playing the one or the two, that's a really disruptive guy on that end. Uh, polish in the pick and roll, some of that was made up for by Illinois' system. They almost got him exclusively going to his right hand. And his left to right cross is is vicious. Um, hmm. He creates a lot of separation. Very good late cro- late clock as well as out of the pick and roll. So there's a lot of scoring potential for a guy like the Sunmu. But his numbers are right on that borderline uh, of is he elite at this category? Is he very good for a college player? Where is he going to project in this fashion? I tend to bet on guys who are again great people, hard workers leaders and anybody that you talk to around that Illinois team who, by the way, were a number one seed in the NCAA tournament. Part of the reason that they had such a, a prolific rise in their program was because of the intangibles that the Sunmu brings to the table. To me, that's a guy who, worst case scenario, is really going to be able to embrace whatever role you ask him to. Um, I mentioned it earlier with with Trey Murphy. Like what he's done in college is already show that he's willing to come in and play a certain type of role on a championship right. team without having an ego. I think Tsunmu has shown us enough about who he is to be that type of guy, regardless of whether I know exactly what it is that he's going to be asked to do on a championship level team. He's a good basketball player. He's solid on both ends. He creates his own shot, finishes good in the mid range, projectable as a three point shooter. Like there's no hole to his game. But I feel like I'm saying it over and over again here. I don't know what that one skill is that he hangs his hat on right now. He kind of reminds me, the guy I think I comped him to when we were doing this was Gary Harris, who, you know, ended up falling off as an offensive player as his career went on. But is it, does he look to be that kind of defender, that level of defender where he can be your number one perimeter defender? I think he can. Um, he certainly has all of the the physical traits and tools to do so. And again, we're talking about reigning as a specialist. If that's what he ends up being asked to do is, hey, you're playing more off ball on offense. We're doing a lot of cutting within how we have you know our, our offense set up here in Denver. You just have to come in and guard for 18 minutes a game and guard the best perimeter player and, and give us all effort. He can do that. I have mm-hmm. no doubt about that. And, and of the guys we've talked about, Thus far, Desumu is the highest on my board. He's just outside the top 20. Uh, a lot of that comes from, again, belief in the fact that he's going to embrace any role. The second part of that is that I see a ton of upside for him. He's an unbelievable scorer in transition. I think he was, if, if not number one, maybe two or three in the entire country in points created in transition mm-hmm. this past year. So if the Nuggets are looking for somebody to – you know, go back to the days of we're the fastest team out there. We're using the altitude to our advantage. Desunmo fits in really well with that. Why was he so good in transition? Ball, ball in the hand, like he's the guy bringing it up the court or finisher? 
a lot of that, mostly ball in the hand, uh, more rebound and run than anything. Like he played with a, a pure point guard and Andre Curbelo. It's not yeah. like Dasunmu was this point guard that they just every time they got a defensive rebound, they were looking to hit him. But he did an unbelievable job of hitting ahead, creating for others, and he's such a good dynamic athlete that his rim attacks forced defenses to collapse, and he was a willing passer in those situations. Sounds like the chat has a lot of uh, a lot of fans of Io, so um, I know he's a popular one. I think defense, a lot of it is just defense. Like if, you know, the Nuggets fans watching them get carved up from the perimeter for the last few years, um, desperate for a defender to come in. Um, below the rim finisher concerns me. I always think athletes around Jokic is is needed, and um, is, can he be an athlete, or is he probably project to be a below the rim player? He's a, he's a little bit more below the rim than he is above the rim. Uh, but again, with length, you can find ways to counteract some of that. I think that especially off back cuts or simple moves where he's aggressive towards the basket, he's going to be fine. But we also just saw it in that clip. He has a decent floater. Like Again, there's there's no major hole in his offensive game. It's just I don't know what the best part of it is right gotcha. now. Jack of all trades. Yeah. Um, another defender that's in this group, Quentin Grimes, um, Who's the better defender between him, IU and Quentin Grimes? Different types of defenders. IU's probably better if you have to guard a point guard. I think Grimes is better if you're trying to play smaller and guard up and you want somebody that would play and guard against the three. I've always been a big fan of Grimes. Uh, he has turned himself into a really, really good shooter after a disastrous freshman right. year at Kansas. He transferred to Houston, found a much more suitable environment for him, and developed as a player. You know, coming into college, he was seen a little bit more as like a taller playmaking combo guard. And now that he's embraced the three-point shooting side of things, he's that 3-and-D type of prospect. He was always kind of top 35, top 40 on my board from maybe back around the holidays. Um, but he gained a lot of fans around the league for his performance at the NBA Combine because right. he, he was effective there in – not trying to do too much and embracing his role and showed a lot of scouts and decision makers that, Hey, I, I know exactly what's going to be asked of me when I step onto an NBA floor and I'm going to be able to do it. And that's guarding other players effectively on the perimeter, using his length and rebounding to his advantage and just knocking down open shots. He makes plays for others off the bounce and isn't somebody that's trying to score for himself. Part of that's that he's, he's not a, uh, a great scorer off the bounce, but right. he's functionally strong in a lot of really good areas I would be surprised if he ends up in the first round. I think he's a little bit more of a second-round talent just because there's not a ton of high-level upside there. Uh, but, if right. again, if you're in, in the shoes of a team like Denver who just needs somebody to come in, be more of that defensive-minded player at the two, and drill open shots, there's there's virtually no downside to taking a guy like Grimes. So Grimes and Josh Christopher came in together, and I had to imagine that – you know, teams will bring in guys to go up against each other, and you got Josh Christopher as an offensive player. How, if you were to compare those two, how, how would you? Who do you like more, and and what are the differences between those two guys? Yeah, they're essentially polar opposites of of right. type of prospects. Uh, Christopher's all offense, and particularly off the bounce, and Grimes is mostly defense and catch and shoot. So, uh, really different types of players. Would have been fascinated to be a fly on the wall for that right. workout and and see how that ended up, but. Uh, I think I have Christopher just slightly higher on my board because of the offensive potential and, and how rare that is. That doesn't mean that I would prefer him in Denver. I think Grimes is probably the better fit for the Nuggets. And uh, the, the upside of taking somebody like Christopher is certainly there. 
and we, we've known Tim Connolly to be a swing for the fences type of, of drafter right. in the past. So uh, nothing would shock me. But if we're looking at a championship level team, everybody that we've brought up thus far has been, you know, pretty solid role player from that wing spot, whether it's him or Duarte or Trey Murphy. These are known commodities. And that's something that when you're chasing a championship, I would really value at the end of the first round. I think Grimes might be my favorite of the guys that I've kind of discussed so far, just in terms of fit. I'm not necessarily upside, because like you mentioned, I don't know that he has an upside other than what you can see from his game just translating to an NBA level. Um, but I do like I, – I, all the intangible stuff means a lot. The physical profile, the defensive intensity, I, I like all of that stuff. Um, last one we have here is Josh Primo. I know a couple guys are throwing some names out in the chat. We'll get to those in a second. But Josh Primo, what's your scout on him? Primo's the youngest guy in this year's draft class, uh, and he played college basketball starting as a 17-year-old wow. on a, a team that's in the SEC and, and ended up being a top-five team in the country. That's absolutely crazy to think about. A uh, ton of upside offensively because he's a taller guard. He played more of an off-ball role at Alabama, and where that helped him was it proved that he can not necessarily be the guy that's ball dominant. He right. knocks down shots from the perimeter. He embraces his role and is a really, really good teammate. Um, where he's opened eyes recently during this pre-draft process is in seeing him potentially be somebody that does more with the ball in his hands because he is a you know, potentially tall lead guard, that there's so much upside in having somebody like that. Uh, shot making off the bounce, really strong in transition and attacking the basket. He's always ready pre-catch without the ball in his hands. And when you're getting a guy who's not even going to turn 19 before the start of next season, there's you view them as a ball of clay, right? Right. There's so much you can do to mold him into the type of player that you need him to be. Shot making, pick and roll creation upside, somebody who can handle a, a bit in transition, size, like all of those check boxes for what you would look for with this Nuggets team. I wonder if he would play in Denver only because, you know, Murray's out, so there's a little bit of an opening, but they still have, uh, you know, Faku, they've got Monte, they've got possibly Will Barton coming back, they've got P.J. Dozier. Like, jumping ahead of any of those guys, Monte, Faku, Dozier, Barton, I, d I don't think he would jump in front of any of them. So, spending so is he a guy that you think needs to go to a team where he's going to play, or do you think he could use a year in the G League? I think he's he's a prime G League candidate to continue to develop. Uh, if he does find his way onto an NBA court, it's probably similar to the role that he had at Alabama, where he's not mm -hmm. playing with the ball in his hands. He's a little bit more of that spot-up two-guard, and he was really good in that role. Uh, you don't draft him because of that. You draft him because right. of the upside to, to marry that with the on-ball creation, but he's not ready to carry that mantle in the NBA just yet. Um, he snuck into the first-round conversation because – a lot of teams are starting to open their eyes into what he can do off the bounce a little bit more. Uh, I have concerns about him as a finisher in the half court. I think mm. he's a very low finisher. You you talked about it with Io not being an elite athlete. Right. I don't see that with Primo. If he gets ahead of steam and in the full court, he can finish above the rim. But other than that, it's a lot of scoop shots and layups. Some of that gets fixed over time and with strength and, and repetition. Uh, but that is one of those things that just gives me a little bit of pause. Some of the stuff you're talking about with, with Josh Primo reminds me of um, Devin Booker. I mean, Devin Booker was also a sixth man and off ball, but he had all he, he looked so smooth even at that role, but it was like he accepted a role. Now he's a better prospect and he went to Kentucky, not Alabama and all of this, but do you think there's something similar to kind of what you're talking about, about the player he was, like there's this other skill where maybe he is maybe not a Devin Booker player, but a, 
the B version of a Devin Booker player? Yeah, yeah, there definitely is. Um, you know, I was listening to a draft podcast earlier today that had him as essentially a top 15 prospect in this year's mm-hmm. draft. And it doesn't sound crazy because he does show all the flashes. He's incredibly smooth and natural. And if you talk to anybody from Canada where he's from that has been around him with national team exposure and, and knows what he's able to do with the ball in his hands a little bit more, they rave about him. So I, I think there are plenty of context clues to say that he's the type of guy that would severely outperform his draft position. Um, but I, I also have to take what's in front of me at Alabama, and I tend to put a lot of stock into college film above you know, anything else the context-wise. And, and that's where the lack of finishing and just the, the lack of overall first step lead me to believe he's a little bit more of a shooter than he is a, an overall scorer. At some point, Devers going to have to get more players that put pressure on the rim. I mean, Jokic does this naturally from just his style of play. He opens up the paint, but they just don't have, I don't think, you know, Monte Moore. Jamal Murray is that guy, but outside of that, they don't seem to have a ton of those guys. Let's go to the comments. Kale, you want to hop in here real quick? And did you earmark some of these uh, the questions here? Yeah, there's a couple we can go through. Let's see. I know there was one name I saw somebody was really at McBride, I think. Uh, somebody's yeah. asking me why if I don't like him. Yeah. If I haven't talked about a player, it's just because I haven't done the I haven't done the scouting on that player yet. I'm only maybe 15 players into this one. Who are, who are we going with here with McBride? Yeah, Ma- Malachi, I love the question. Um, I'm a huge Deuce McBride guy myself. I actually have him 18th on my overall big board. Part of the reason I didn't want to bring him up today is because I, I think it's becoming more likely than not that he's not going to be available when Denver's mm-hmm. on the clock at 26. His draft stock has continued to rise. Um, he came into the year as about a six foot two combo guard, a little bit more defensive mentality than anything else. He proved that he could be a, a near 40% three point shooter, really good high volume scorer off the bounce and measured with a six foot nine wingspan, the NBA draft combine. I mean, in terms of drafting for upside and, and what guys are looking for in the backcourt right now, Check, check, check. He hits every single box to the point where there are so many teams drafting right in front of the Nuggets that probably need a combo guard, a backcourt option. Like the Lakers are on the clock at 22. I think he makes a lot of sense in L.A. Um, just because he's he's so competitive. Do I love McBride and, and think he'd be an unbelievable fit in Denver? Yeah, I have zero qualms about taking him if I'm the Nuggets at 26. Um, you know, the, the biggest thing for me that I love about McBride he played football in high school. He was a, an unbelievable quarterback. And I think there's a really high ceiling for guys to reach in the NBA who are just now starting to specialize in basketball year round, that the continued development and polish that they add to their game is a lot higher than, you know, some other prospects who have just been playing hoops since they were in seventh or eighth grade. So I, I would feel really comfortable taking McBride at 26 if he's on, if he's on the board. What's the, what's the negative for him? consistency of his ability to get to the rim. Um, mm. he, he was similar to a lot of guys we're talking about, a little bit more prolific on taking jump shots than getting all the way to the basket. And with McBride, it's almost more worrisome because he's such a good athlete. Uh, you see it in, in functional ways defensively, and and for some reason he just he didn't get to the rim a ton in, in college. So uh, to me, that's kind of the, the downside is he ends up being more like a, a Marcus Smart off-ball type of offensive guard than somebody that you're playing through. What else we got, Kale? A couple different versions of this question. Who's the best defensive player in the Nuggets range? A lot of people worried about defense. Yeah, good question. I would probably say Trey Murphy is is that guy for me. Um, 
you know, the the caveat of it all is that I don't think the Nuggets necessarily need a rim protector, a five man. That's uh, not going to see the floor a lot in Denver right now with the reigning MVP already on the roster. So functionally speaking, looking at those wing positions, I would say it's Trey Murphy just because of his, his switchability, his length and ability to bother guys on the perimeter who are taking jumpers. Mm. Zaire Williams is the guy we talked about yesterday. Do you have a, a take on him? Yeah, I love Zaire. I, I agree with the comment here that he's probably gone before 26. Uh, I think Houston has back-to-back picks in the early to mid-20s. And with the, the state of their roster right now, as well as OKC having two in the teens, I think one of those four picks is bound to go to a guy like Zaire if he's available. Uh, you don't find six foot nine guys with a 6'11 wingspan and that amount of fluidity to, to score and create off the bounce every day. So he's that high upside type of pick that somebody's going to take. Um, you know, Denver fans, if you do get Zaire, be very patient with him. He's not ready to make an NBA impact right away, but the ceiling is one of the 10 highest in this class. Wow. That, that, that's wild. He is a guy that, yeah, he's so fluid and so smooth, but um, I know the advanced numbers weren't kind as one of our guys in the comments pointed out. Is there anything else there, Kale? Uh this is pretty interesting. Are the Nuggets scouting any international players for well, this draft? Well, the answer is always yes. The, the question is who. The, I, would, I would love a, a year where it's like, you know, the Nuggets took off from international scouting. They're just not doing it. They uh, haven't had much success with international talent. No, uh, what do you, who do you got in their range international-wise? Uh, international-wise, I'd say the, the two names to know are Rokas Jakobaitis, who is uh, playing for Zalgiris. He's a, a Lithuanian combo guard, about 6'4", 6'5", maybe better with the ball in his hands than off of it, but can play in either type of role. Really heady, high IQ type of player. Um, I don't know if he's ready to come over right away. I think he just recently signed a longer-term extension or a new contract with a team in Europe. So if the Nuggets are looking for an immediate-impact European guy, I don't know if I'd necessarily see it. The other guy who, again, is more down the road than anything else would be Roko Prakacin out of Chibonia. Um, six foot eight with a seven foot wingspan, kind of that jack of all trades, master of none scorer, mm-hmm. good out of the pinch post, solid three point shooting numbers, creates out of the pick and roll. Uh, a lot that he can do in his hands. Not sure what his go to skill is that's going to earn him early minutes to get on the floor ton of long-term offensive potential but in terms of being a role player right away i'm not sure what it is so last guy i'm gonna ask you about um and if you anybody that's ever followed me knows i have a type and this is my guy he's not going to be taken at 26 but you trade bull bull you pick up a second rounder and then you go for jason preston my guy big fan of him what do you what can you tell me about him and his prospects Jason Preston, well, first of all, if any of the listeners or, or viewers out there have not seen his story and his background, make sure you Good do story. some research. It's it's an unbelievably, uh, unbelievably inspiring tale, something that we send to our players and talk about all the time. Like this guy has maximized every ounce of athletic potential that he has. Uh, he's probably about 6'4", 6'5", and a 6'9", wingspan. It, just a fantastic feel for the game. You put the ball in his hands and great things are going to happen. This is a lofty comparison. I'm not saying he's going to have the same type of career, but his playing style reminds me of Mark Jackson, the current NBA <laughs> commentator, and somebody who's just a bigger bodied point guard with an unbelievable feel for the game that rarely gets sped up. Uh, in order for Preston to make it, he's got to be able to score off the bounce. Right now, he's yeah. really, really good at creating for others and manipulating help defenses, but at the NBA level, defenders and, and schemes are so advanced, nuanced, and smart 
that they're only going to collapse on you if you're a great scoring threat at the rim or you're a prolific pull-up jump shooter. And right now he's kind of neither. Uh, he's got the tools to, to figure it out, uh, but he's a lot more of a second-round guy. I would be surprised if he snuck into the first. Yeah, I definitely think he's – most places have him like late second round as well. Can he guard anyone? He could guard me. Okay. <laughs> if he gets matched up with Trey Young, is he? I mean, are the Nuggets giving up three points per possession? Yeah, he's in trouble a little bit. Um, he's he, he's he's going to be in trouble in that regard. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, everybody, you got to check out everything Adam Spinell is doing. He's draft profiles. He's got. Play, uh, I haven't actually seen the Denver Nuggets. You did a, a specific one just for the Denver Nuggets. Is that one out already? It is. I think it was just came out uh, a couple hours ago. That was great planning on your part. So everybody, you can go straight from this video over to that one if you want. Check out all the great work that he does. And if there's a prospect, we're gonna. We've got two weeks before the draft, so we're gonna keep talking about prospects every day. And if you want to prepare, you can see who we're talking about, and then go over and check out Adam Spinella's uh, great. They're usually like ten minutes long. They're not. They're not too long, not too short. They're just perfect for you to kind of get an overview of the players. Adam, thanks so much for joining me. Now, thank you for having me on. Appreciate you guys. And Kale, if you have any recommendations for where to get a shirt like that, please feel free to let me know. <laughs> Casserock Goodwill, baby. Casserock Goodwill. Sounds great. Thanks, everybody, for all the comments. We'll see everybody tomorrow for Casual Friday. See you then. I want to start today by telling you guys about Strava Craft Coffee, the CBD-infused coffee that is made right here in Colorado. You can get 25% off your first purchase when you use promo code DNVR20 at checkout. That's right, 25% off, a quarter off of your purchase when you use promo code DNVR20. CBD has been known to, to aid in recovery from headaches, backaches, chronic joint pains, IBS, and so much more. It also doesn't give you those coffee jitters. If you have three or four cups, you're not going to be sitting there shaking like a crazy person. Uh, it's great tasting, and like I said, it's made locally right here in Colorado. So check them out, Strava Craft Coffee, and don't forget that promo code 25, DNVR25 to get 25% off, or you can save 20% off on your order when you sign up for the subscription and have it delivered straight to your door every two weeks, every four weeks, six weeks or eight weeks, whatever you prefer. 20% off when you use the uh, subscription service.